When you're a jet, you're a jet all the way from my first cigarette till my last dying day. Just kidding. This is not the West Side Story episode. This is an episode on Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley. And an episode of what, you may be asking yourself. Uh, This is the New Flesh Podcast, a podcast about horror movies and all things tangentially related to the horror lifestyle, which this means supporting uh, horror icon Steven Spielberg, hashtag Jaws is a horror movie, um, going to see West Side Story in theaters despite most of America deciding not to do that. Um, the, the horror lifestyle this week includes seeing West Side Story, so you guys better buck up. Yeah, that's right. You fucking horror guys better do it. Better show up for West Side Story. Jesse's uh, frustrated because he really liked West Side Story, and it is... Bombing miserably is how I would put it. But I think I do think I I would put it as like I would just you know oh, we'll talk about this maybe on the bonus thing that you know movies in December always have these crazy multipliers although a crazy multiplier in this case could still not be very much money. That's yes I I, I know Greatest Showman is a, is the example of a recent musical that had huge legs had a very. I think it was like a $13 million opening. It wasn't impressive. I think even less. I want to say it was less it was than that. Eight. Yeah, it was either 8 or 13. I have a weird memory where it's like one of those two numbers I feel like is correct. Um, but yeah, I don't think West Side Story is comparable in the way... I just... what Greatest Showman had like new music that people for some reason enjoyed and liked. <laughs> in the mainstream for some reason and like that movie had such awareness that i think it was due to like product placement or like not product placement but like movie tie-ins like for that movie i just feel like greatest showman was everywhere uh and west side story uh, we'll save it for the bonus pod this is a preview of the patreon bonus episode which we'll be recording right after this and will be on the patreon feed immediately because i believe you are owed an episode uh but this episode is about Nightmare Alley, a remake of a movie from the 1940s. I watched it on Criterion um, a day before seeing this on accident. I was not aware that I was seeing the movie. I thought I was not <laughs> the day it came out like everybody else. Uh, but I got invited to a screening right after watching the original and thinking it was spectacular. And we'll see um, what effect that had on me uh, enjoying Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley. 2021 starring good goodness gracious the cast of this film uh bradley cooper kate blanchett tony collette or tony coletti depending on if you're wrong or right because <laughs> i know one is right and run is wrong and i'm not sure which uh willem dafoe richard jenkins rooney mara ron perlman mary steenburgen it has a fun appearance david strathairn holt mccallany uh I'm going to stop there because the, the gang's name- all here gang's except all here. Scoot, except Scoot McNary. Where the fuck was Scoot McNary, Guillermo? What I I'm he should be in this and he's not. I thought he played the 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 baby's head that's in a jar. <laughs> <laughs> he plays the geek with Guillermo yeah. with, with Scoot McNary he would be as the perfect geek. geek. He, would, he would, he would. He's perfect for that. Uh Nightmare Alley 1947 directed by Edmund Goulding. What do people know Edmund Goulding from? Uh, he's a British director. He did a lot of uh, 
Greta Garbo. He did some Greta Garbo and jo jo Joan Crawford, Betty Davis stuff. Uh, Nightmare Alley is more. I feel like it's more a Tyrone Power picture than an Edmund Goulding picture. <laughs> but he did uh, Grand Hotel, which I feel like was that did that win? I don't know if it won Best Picture, but it was like a very starry. I mean, I feel like it was almost the equivalent of what Nightmare Alley, the new one, is now, where it's like this tons of familiar faces in this kind of big budget uh, movie for grownups. Although that's what most <laughs> most movies were were at that time. Um, yeah. He's one of those guys who also, you know, directed or wrote a million movies uh, in the, over the course of like 25 years instead of the usual, uh, you know, 70 or 80. <laughs> right on. Uh, Nightmare Alley. Uh, I'm excited to talk about it. I, I think we're going to have, similar opinions maybe differ a little bit uh, I, well, I'll, I'll say i watched the original after so we have a good contrast going there yes perfect um it's amazing that i spent 30 years of my life not seeing a movie not even knowing it existed and then <laughs> less than 12 hours before i saw the remake decided to to, to write that wrong so to speak uh I, I think it was a big mistake if you're not catching my, my um, we're going to do a news segment, which maybe if you're really into surfing the web and maybe old news to you, because this episode's coming out a week delayed. Uh, we're recording this in the distant past of one week ago. Uh, the Child's Play remake episode has just dropped after being recorded months prior. There's so many time loops. There's a lot of new flesh time uh, loops going on right now. It's like a it's like a Ryan Johnson movie right now. It's Looper 2, the new flesh podcast. Uh, things are happening at the same time. It's actually like a Saw sequel. The new flesh is always uh, happening, and uh, you never know when you're going to drop in, what era we'll be in. So let's do some bits and pieces from the horror world. Uh, this is interesting. I actually, the, I'm reading some of these for the first time. I just pulled them up. Universal Pictures is developing a new take on Phantom of the Opera with John Legend producing. There's a spec script out there simply titled Phantom, written by John Fusco with Harry Mason Jr., with Harvey Mason Jr. and John Legend producing. Uh, they were attached to the script, apparently. It's said to be a contemporary take on the classic Gaston LaRue novel, which was published in 1910. The new movie will be set in the French Quarter of New Orleans. Uh, this is set in the sultry nightlife scene of modern-day New Orleans, the world of jazz, R&B, neo-soul, and funk. John Fusco tells Deadline, uh, the French Quarter, where New Orleans is not only known as America's most haunted city, but the music, French Creole culture, the voodoo mystique, masquerade pageantry of Mardi Gras just lent itself to a natural adaptation of the Paris setting and a story that has revenge, unrequited love, and mystery. I think Phantom of the Opera set in New Orleans is brilliant. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say I'm indifferent to neutral. To, that's the same. That, that's a, that's a synonym. I have no feelings on John Legend as a producer. He seems like a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> as a producer, I don't. Yeah, exactly. He seems like a perfectly. I, I was just. I, obviously, he's not going to play the Phantom, or is he? But uh, I am picturing a much more like smooth-voiced Phantom of the Opera than Jerry yeah. Butler, who played him in the uh, 2004 uh, Angela Weber version movie. Oh yeah, the one uh, Emmy Rossum. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. Uh, yep. I never saw that. I've never seen that. I haven't seen any Phantom of the Opera movies or productions except for Brian De Palma's 
Phantom of the Paradise <laughs> and Disney's original movie, Phantom of the Multiplex, starring uh, like 90 year old Mickey Rooney. Oh, wow. Did he play the Phantom? Uh, you know, maybe that was like a last minute <laughs> twist. Maybe it was like the theater owner, I, I believe, or the manager. Okay. I see. I see. It was a very, it was like a, it was a, it was a multiplex it's right there in the title. Um, Phantom of the Opera with John Legend producing makes me a little bit worried that he's going to do all the music for it, which I guess he's a fine uh, musician. And maybe he, I, I just, I think the music in Phantom of the Opera, like I, it's so iconic. I know the music to it, you know? And, well, that, yeah, they would have to, they have to do like a whole new set. Like, it's funny if they call it Phantom because there's, also, and you know, there's another Phantom of the Opera musical that's not Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera that is just called Phantom. That oh. I am to understand a lot of like community theater productions were done in the wake of Phantom of the Opera because it was a Phantom musical that was more available to license than Andrew Lloyd Webber's version, at least in the early days. So there's some other. I assume this has nothing to do with that either. Uh, but it's another windfall for the people who made that other Phantom of the Opera musical that is pretty shitty. I wish it. I wish it were more like the title was even more like uh, Phantom <laughs> colon the <Yeah>. opera, <laughs> <laughs> the the ghoul under the theater or something. Yeah, <laughs> like a real asylum straight yeah. to the title. I think I mean, these poor bastards were first too. That's the funnier thing. I think that musical. I think Phantom might have been the earlier one, but nobody gives a shit. Ah, uh, bummer. Uh, Kane Hodder, who's famously played um, many iconic horror characters, uh, will be playing Leatherface. I believe he's played him before. I believe, yeah, he did Leatherface stunt work for Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 back in the 90s. But he will be playing Leatherface in the video game, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, you heard that right. There is an asymmetrical multiplayer video game based on the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, soon headed to PC and current generation consoles, which means Xbox uh, Series X and S and PS5. Not the Switch, I would assume. I'm assuming Nintendo wants no part of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but we'll see. Um, that's not as exciting. I mean, the, the news here is that this game exists. Uh, and an asymmetrical multiplayer makes me feel like I feel like I know what that means by playing the Friday the 13th game, which the conceit was like, there's eight people in a party. Seven of them are victims, so to speak. And one person is randomly selected to be Jason. Oh, and, that's cool. That's fun. Yeah, it is fun. I had so much fun. The like two times I played that game. I uh, wish I played it more. They like stopped. Uh, the game stopped getting updates like a year or so ago, but it was a really fun online game. And if Texas Chainsaw Massacre is anything like that, uh, I think it'll be great. And the weirdest thing about horror and games, I mean, there's plenty of horror games and I play them all or I try to, but there's also like, like iconic horror characters, like, like Pinhead and Leatherface and Freddy even maybe, I'm not sure, but they often show up in like, like fighting games as like downloadable characters. Uh -huh. Like that is not my like I just there was a Call of Duty recently that was touting like <laughs> play as Leatherface. I'm like yeah. it doesn't mean anything. First of all, it's like first person, so you don't even see it. Like like we're just like just know that your character looks <laughs> yeah. like isn't that fun for you? The guy running around with a gun looks like Leatherface. Um maybe there's more to it than that and I'm ignorant. Please tell me. <laughs> Um, or I really don't care that much, but uh, Leatherface, 
Kane Hodder, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, Gun Interactive is making the game. And they also made the Friday 13th game, which is why I think, you know, that's what it's going to be. But the poster that they made for it, it's like art. It looks like it's hand-drawn art. It has characters from, let's see. It has the hitchhiker from the first movie. And I can't tell if that's supposed to be Dennis Hopper from the second movie, but I fucking hope so. Um, that's exciting. I'll, I'll definitely play that. Uh, did you hear that Thora Birch uh, exited the Netflix show, Tim Burton's live action Adam's Family show? Yes. Day? Yeah. What's going on with that? It sounds like from what I could read, it was that not that she was fired or that there were creative differences so-called although maybe there were and they're just covering up but they sounded like she had a family thing and they weren't willing to bend the schedule for her and she just had to quit uh and she had filmed a lot of her part so it's unclear whether they're going to write her character out late going or replace her character with a different character and reshoot those that stuff or how they're going to handle it because it sounds like she had finished most of it uh but which makes it weird that you wouldn't be able to just make it work to pick up the rest uh, especially how many much stuff seems to be like it. Like I feel like I've seen tons of shows where I feel like the people were not in the room together. Um, so I'm surprised. So I wonder if there's more to it. But I guess supposedly it was some kind of family thing. I wonder if her horrible, notoriously horrible father. Again, this is like gossipy, but I I know that her career was sort of dinged a lot by having this really horrible like manager father who was kind of a creep. I wonder mm -hmm. if he's now has, now has some horrible disease and is screwing her career some more or oh, something. No. Um, yeah, but that's really sad. It's yeah. I, I was just yeah. reading everything you just said. Uh, it sounds it's like a bummer. Such, a bummer. such a bummer. She filmed yeah a bulk of it, but uh, yeah, they're the She's role. Great too. Like yeah. I was just you know re rewatching Ghost World this year. One of the best twentieth anniversaries. I, yeah, love that movie, and she's so good in it. And it's a bummer that Scarlett Johansson, who's great in it, also got like you know a huge career from it. And Thor Birch, anyway, obviously was in some stuff, but has not had nearly that kind of, that level. Um, too bad because she's great. The show uh, Wednesday currently stars Jenna Ortega, who's in the Babysitter Two, I believe, and maybe the first one. I don't remember. And she's definitely in the upcoming Scream movie. She's Wednesday. Luis Guzman is Gomez, which is wonderful. Catherine Zeta Jones is Morticia, which is also kind of wonderful. Uh, Emmy nominee Gwendolyn Christie from Game of Thrones has joined will be a series regular uh other names that are, are ones i don't recognize oh no there's a few i recognize ricky Lindholm is on it that's interesting um i don't know i my interest in that show is is waning or was never really there to begin with it's just what i i can't remember the last tim burton thing i liked it was or probably sweeney todd or something it was a long time ago in the dig dark shadows no, <laughs> I did not. Enjoy I see really like horror comedy, and that's exactly horror comedy. Yeah, movie, yeah. You know what? Did I even? I don't even know if I even saw that movie. It came oh, out okay. in college. Um, uh, and I remember seeing trailers for it, and there's a chance I saw that at a matinee for like four dollars in Champaign, Illinois, and just completely blocked out of my memory. I think that's probably what happened. Um, <laughs> but we'll we'll see. Check the check the tape on that one. See if the new flesh <laughs> far enough. Um, just wanted to mention that Cowboy Bebop, the 10 episode live action show that was much, not much acclaimed, certainly not. It was much touted by Netflix and it was, they spent a lot of money on it. That's what I'll say. It looked very expensive, uh, but also cheap and bad. Um, I haven't gotten through it, 
but the show is canceled after one season and they will not be going forward with more. Uh, it's based on a worldwide phenomenon of that, you know, anime jazz inspired genre bending story of bounty hunters. Uh, I feel bad for John Cho, who's great. And I want nothing but good things. For um, Halo fans, there's a trailer out for a TV show coming to Paramount Plus in 2022. Also Halo fans, if you have Halo Infinite, so do I. Let's play it on Xbox. Hit me up. I need people to play with. It is not fun playing with strangers. Let me tell you. The Matrix Awakens, an Unreal Engine 5 experience. It's basically a a game demo that dropped on PlayStation 5 on Xbox Series X and S. Um, It's kind of like a Grand Theft Auto-y open world, but the Matrix, but it's more of a walkthrough than a real game but like you can like tweak the settings it's basically showcasing this new technology that games will be built on in the future so there will probably be a matrix game assuming i mean this is why would you spend all this time making this if you're not going to make an actual game out of it but there's a fun demo out and i was playing it earlier and it's super cool and god i just am so excited for the matrix as of this list this podcast release i will have seen it so check my twitter account for my reaction to the Matrix Resurrections and maybe a review somewhere if I can sell it. If you know anyone looking for a review in the past, <laughs> listeners, <laughs> get a time machine and hit me up. Um, the Fall of the House of Usher, based on Edgar Allan Poe stories, is coming to Netflix from Mike Flanagan. Uh, we knew it was a series uh, to be directed by Mike Flanagan, but now we know the cast, and it includes staples of uh uh flanagan work like carla Giugino, also mary mcdonald carl lumley and drum roll please mark hamill and maybe more of a drum roll please depending on your interests frank langella very exciting Ooh. haven't seen him in anything in quite a while i feel like um yeah, uh, Roderick Usher, the towering patriarch of the Usher dynasty, is Frank Langella, which is awesome. Uh, a character surprisingly in Home at the Shadows. We're thrilled to welcome the iconic Mark Hamill. Not a lot of information. Uh, Guillermo del Toro said that he would love to... Um, he was on Scott Wampler and Eric Vespi, friend of the shows. The King's King cast, part of the Fangoria Podcast Network... And they were, he was asked about, you know, what Stephen King would you like to do? And he said, you know, the novel that I would have killed to adapt, and I know there's two versions of it now, and I still think maybe in a deranged universe I get to do it again one day, is Pet Cemetery, um, Because it not only has the very best final couple lines of the King oeuvre, but it scared me when I was a young man. As a father, I now understand it better than I ever would have, and it scares me a hundred times more. I'd love to be able to do it. Um, as a person who loves that book, and is not a fan of the most recent movie and not the biggest fan of the old movie, but appreciates it and likes the sequel even more. <laughs> um, I'm all for Guillermo del Toro getting a crack at it, even though I don't particularly like Guillermo del Toro movies, as we'll get into in a little bit. Uh, spoiler alert there. Um, Don Mancini is doing interviews about Chucky with Bloody Disgusting. There's a bunch of fun stuff to read on there. I'm not going to read any of that because I'm trying to get them myself. If we don't get them, go read it there. Uh, Kyle Richards is officially returning in Halloween Ends as legacy character Lindsay Wallace. She notably was not killed in Halloween Kills. Um, And here's what she has to say. 
the last movie I saw Jamie on the set, but we didn't have stuff together. So I'm really hoping that there's more stuff together. I can't talk about any storylines. All I can say is that we start filming in January. And I'm so excited to return with Jamie Lee Curtis and David Gordon Green. Uh, sources say that after Richards garnered positive reception from fans in Halloween Kills, mostly Lewis Peitzman on the New Flesh podcast. Uh, that's what this article says. I didn't write that. <laughs> the filmmakers rewrote the script to include her character in Halloween Ends, crafting an expanded storyline for her return. So congratulations to Real Housewife of Haddonfield, um, Kyle Richards. Um, and sorry if I sound weird. I keep um, my voice appears to be like falling apart. So I'm going to try to get through this. I wanted to mention that Ghostbusters Afterlife passed 100 million domestic like a week ago. And as of this week, and I haven't even pulled the numbers yet, but I will go to the numbers.com right now and tell you that it made another 7 million this weekend. So it's at 112 million domestic uh, worldwide total. Let me see if I can quickly get a worldwide snapshot of this movie. How come it's not showing me everything? Oh, I have to go to the international tab. Excuse me. All right. It's making me add them up. Oh, no. 52 extra million dollars, which is not as well as Paul Feig's Ghostbusters internationally. Ghostbusters International, the other one, cleaned up internationally. It's the only reason this one exists, probably. But it continues to do very well domestically. I just wanted to point that out because I had to do that addendum to our Ghostbusters episode already because it had legs like Jesse thinks West Side Story might have. But uh, we'll see on that one. I'm That's right. We'll, we will see. We, we, yeah, the new Flesh listeners haven't been in, uh, accounted for yet because we have. That's right. We're going to go to the polls, so to speak. Yes. Uh, Dave Batista is going to star in M. Night Shyamalan's next horror movie, which is called Knock at the Cabin. All plot details are still under wraps. Shyamalan will write and direct. It's probably going to shoot soon and will be out February 3rd, oh, 2023. So there's no rush on this one, actually. But it continues the lengthy partnership with M. Night and Universal, where he's released Old Glass Split and The Visit. And I'm not sure. I'm sure it's his same deal where he funds it himself and then reaps all the fucking money. He has cr a crazy deal with them. Yeah. It's I forget what it is. You can look into it on the internet. I've mentioned it before on the podcast. Surely. Um, the Batman. There's a bunch of rumors I'm not going to talk about because they're spoilery. But we do know that Colin Farrell will return as the Penguin in a planned spinoff series for HBO. And can I say... Ugh, <laughs> I just do that. It's like, does everything need to be a universe that's connected to a streaming service now? I understand. I, I mean, yes, the answer is yes. That's the game nowadays. Uh, HBO did a Sex and the City reboot. That's not even on HBO proper. You can't even watch it on cable as far as I know. It's an HBO Max show. So, you have to, so like everybody is doing anything they can to get people to their dedicated streaming service in addition to you know it's separate from the cable bundles uh and this is just another one of those so there will be i think there's a there's talking about like several projects in the works uh with batman and hbo so i think it really depends on how successful this movie is all these things could fall apart if the movie is not successful which i think it will be i mean batman movies have yet to underperform is that true that's probably not true and Rob, batman and robin didn't do great but that was like such an anomaly and yeah pretty much if you put batman in a movie unless it's unless it's batman and robin you're gonna make some money 
Yeah, which is crazy because that was basically the fucking approach they had for the past. When the, the Snyder years for me were such a lack of imagination. Just yeah, well, let Zach do it all and make and it put down. Batman in it. Yeah, put Batman in. Like literally, all they thought of was put Batman in it, and we'll rake it. We'll rake in money. And yes, they did. Sure, billion dollar franchise, definitely. But like, you know, if those movies were good, it would have been double that, right? And like yeah. the, the dwindling returns that they had, like I think it's the Snyderverse fucked shit up for them, despite the fact that they, uh, you know, it has it has been reclaimed by the hashtag fans. <laughs> uh, whatever. Um, all right, let's talk about Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley. Uh, Jesse, did you enjoy your walk down the Nightmare Alley? <laughs> uh, my my stroll through the Nightmare Alley, my constitutional. Um, I did, and I think some of it might have to do with a couple of things that are perhaps unique to my situation. One, that I think like you, I'm not like a huge Guillermo del Toro guy. And I'm very, it's confusing that I'm not because... I like Tim Burton a lot and like, isn't it, what is Tim Burton if not Guillermo del Toro at the mall? And yet <laughs> like I have a real, you know, affinity for Tim Burton stuff, even some of the later stuff as I alluded to earlier, but, and I love some of Guillermo del Toro's movies, but most of them like shape of shape of water. I love that a movie about a lady having sex with a fish man, one best picture. It's a cool choice for best picture. I didn't really like the movie that much. Um, even Pan's Labyrinth, I don't really care for that much. I tend to like the stuff of his that's a little more just like goofy genre stuff. Uh, yeah. not that there's genre stuff certainly in all both of those aforementioned movies, but you know, I like Blade 2, I like Hellboy and Hellboy 2. I like Hellboy his creatures. Is the pinnacle of, of Del Toro. For me. I love <laughs> it. Is, it's it's a great match of material and director, like it's it's has superhero kind of drive to the plot, but. It has enough Guillermo Flores is making me want to watch go watch. I haven't seen it in forever. It has enough of his flourishes that it's just like more fun and more and a little funkier than like something else, uh, you know, would be adapted from some, uh, you know, Dark Horse comic book. But the kind of more serious ones, I haven't seen Devil's Backbone and or Kronos. So maybe that would, maybe I'd be more into those. I um, think they're both like they're better than his other stuff, but they're still just like fine. I don't love either of them. Yeah, and I can't really figure out why that is. Um, exactly. I think that sometimes his movies just feel like they don't have much momentum or they're kind of luxuriating in the scenery, but don't make that much emotional sense to me. I was not really moved by Shape of Water. And Nightmare Alley sort of dispenses with that. It's, in some ways, it's it's a good fit material-wise because this book that they're readapting, which I have not read, but I, I assume it's pretty close to the book because the movie that they are not technically remaking is also pretty similar <laughs> so they must both be adapting the book pretty well pretty they the, they lift dialogue from the there's repeat dialogue in the new movie yeah. from the six uh, 47 movie so yeah. either they're not if they're not remaking it definitely the book is yeah it might, i think it's credited as is based on the book so they might i wonder if they're both lifting from the book and it because it's not really an emotional story particularly I did enjoy it. I it's I don't think it's like a big, you know, best of the year awards type of thing like it's being positioned, but that's, you know, that doesn't really matter to me. Um, and I had a good time with it. I would liken it to even even before I watched the 47 one. I would I thought this and I thought it for sure after watching the 47 version. It's sort of and I don't mean this necessarily as a bad thing. 
it's sort of the Peter Jackson version of the old movie, even though I know they're not really remaking the movie. I think they're he and Kim Morgan were really with the book and readapting re that, but that's how it plays to me. It's like the Peter Jackson King Kong, uh, where it's not really better, but the muchness of it is sort of enjoyable unto itself because it's like, Oh, if you like this old movie, this newer thing probably won't win you over as being better, but there are certain things you can do with it now just by virtue. And that also sounds really stupid and like, like, no, it actually is really a great comparison. I wish I agreed with you because I, <laughs> well, I love Peter Jackson's King Kong and I, yeah. I think I like, I think I like Peter Jackson's King Kong more than any other old King Kong. Maybe that's not true. Like I love the classic iconic. Well, yeah, like, I, I could see King loving Kong. Jackson's more, yeah. even more than the 33 because it is yeah. so like, like immersive a, and yeah. It was a big blockbustery version of that story, which which that story deserves that treatment. Yeah, um, and then I just I'm always hesitant to sound like I'm saying, oh well, you know, the technology is so much better now. You can make or make you can make a much better one because I don't mean that about the new one. No. Just that there's certain things you can do with content and with tone that are not really within the kind of uh, we're not available necessarily to the to the to the way that the 47 version was made. And so I found that sort of fun to watch them back to back. But I, there's not really a way that this one is superior, except I would say maybe the ending is better. Um, but but there's like a, there's something kind of yeah, like cool about seeing doesn't, doesn't have to follow the Hayes code. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I did like the movie. I was I'm not wild about it, but I think similar to like there was a Pedro Almodovar movie. He's another a director that I'm not I'm a little cool on. But there was Ooh, one, and I, yeah, I, he, I know he's like good. I just, it's just one of those things where I just don't really vibe with his stuff. But there was some movie he made, and now I can't remember the name of it. It wasn't The Skin I Live In, but it was like, it was one of the ones though from two, 2010 or 2011. Broken Embraces. Broken Embraces, thank you. Yes. Where All I, I knew the year. I'm very yeah. good with it. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Uh, it's 2012, by the way, I think. Which one? It's 2010. Open the braces is 2012, I believe. Oh, yeah, that, that that tracks. Um, because well, I was not. Time. Wow, sorry. Okay. Was... Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> you were more right than I was. Um, that movie because I was not like, in enraptured by Volver or all about my mother. Uh, when I saw Broken Embraces, which a lot of people found disappointing, I was like, oh, this is good. I like this is totally decent, you know. Yeah. And. I like I felt similar to about this one where I'm like, yeah, I probably like this more than shape of the water. I probably like this more than some of his other ones. Like, but it's not like shape I don't of think water it's like my, like my parents would when they're renting it at the store, the shape of the water, the shape of the, I, I always, <laughs> you know, the, yeah, the shape of the water. I always yeah. misplaced the, the, the definite article on that one. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I like, but you, you sound like you were maybe a little cooler toward it. Well, I also, my take on Guillermo del Toro, has always been this and remains this after seeing the movie that he's like the king of the over heralded three out of five movies. <laughs> like he doesn't really get higher than that unless he's like Hellboy two is like a four star great movie to me. Blade two I used to think was better than Blade and now I totally retract that opinion as an adult after rewatching them both excessively. I think the first one's way better actually. Um, I still think Blade two is great and a lot of fun but it's definitely a lesser movie and just like bloated as fuck, which is like my problem with most of his movies. Um, it's interesting to hear this was like, you know, based on the book and not a remake of the film, because to me, you're right. It does play like a quote unquote, Peter Jackson version of the older movie. And that it's just the same exact movie, but more. 
there's more of it. Yeah, like, yeah. but why? I didn't think Guillermo once justified this movie clocking in at, I think it's exactly 20 minutes longer than the 47 movie. It's, it's, it's like, it's, I would say, I would say it's half an hour longer, even, I think. Well, if you like, include the credits, like the, the way there's the way they're, the way they're clocking it, it definitely is a full half an hour. I was like doing it right from when it stops. Right, like, right. Yeah, that's true. 20 minutes. Like, I'm yeah. or tw- maybe, uh, let's be generous. Yeah. Me in the middle. 25 minutes too 25 long. Minutes. Yeah. Um, and like, <laughs> it's one of those things where like by addition, like all the additions that he added were actually subtractions to me for this movie. Like they're all, it just made it so fucking unwieldy and long. And I thought the original, it didn't help. As I said, watching the original right before was such a fucking idiotic move on my part that I think I would have been a full star more, maybe, maybe like half a star to a full star more on this. Had I not seen the original because I love the, what I don't want to, I don't think nihilism is the right word, but like the tone of it, that's just like, you're watching, it's like a character study we're like, you know how there's usually a movie where you watch someone like rise to the top. Yeah. This is like, you know, someone rising to the top and then falling to the bottom. And like, it sets itself up at the beginning. Like, it's such a, I like the structure of the screenplay. You know what I mean? It's such a tidy, yeah. like, it's clearly from the book, like the novel, the way it's yeah. opens and closes with those geek chapters. And like, I like, I really just enjoy it as a story. And like, someone on Twitter compared it to Red Rocket. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. A comparison. Oh, interesting. Yeah, these are like two really interesting... Like, that would be a great double feature just for someone to program right now. <laughs> two movies about, like, like basically con men in different yeah. ways. Yeah. Oh, um, that's interesting. I like that. Isn't that? Yeah. Well, so the, the old movie... it's in, The old movie is interesting, too, because as my buddy Nathaniel pointed out before I had seen it and, and then when I was talking to him about it, uh, that I was saying that I could see from watching the, the newer movie that... You could see the like the bones of the eighty minute noir, even knowing that the old one is not eighty minutes. You watch a lot of these older noir movies, and they're like super lean, you know, yeah. eighty five minutes or less. I love like, how old movies like when a movie says it's eighty five minutes, that means the last frame is at eighty five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's not you're not subtracting the ten minutes for credits. Yeah. But and they're also much you know yeah. Some of it is probably just like yeah exactly. Today's one hundred minute or ninety minute movies really are actually eighty minutes, and these movies because the credits are a lot shorter. But like. There's just like a leanness and toughness to them. They just feel like, you know, they're, they kind of get right to it. And I was watch, watching uh, the the Guillermo one. Uh, I was thinking, which in this movie, I should, which I should say, just like for a broad description, is about a guy played by Bradley Cooper, who's played by Tyrone Power in the original, who sort of, uh, in the movie, the original, I keep calling it, the, or I'm going to keep calling it the original, but with the understanding that I, I don't think that they were necessarily remaking this movie, or at least that wasn't the intent. But it's easier to shorthand as the original. In the original, it joins him already working on the carnival. This movie, uh, by virtue of adding stuff, it's kind of shows how he gets to this carnival and gets a job and sort of meets some people there and becomes interested in becoming a mentalist, sort of a con man mentalist in terms of, you know, uh, spooking people and also convincing them that he's had contact with their with the beyond or that they he knows things about them you know it's carnival act stuff and then it sort of becomes this more goes from being a carnival movie to be more of a noir movie where there's like a sort of femme fatale figure and you know a scheme that's gonna that might go wrong wink wink and you know a, a good a good woman who's who's drawn into it and all that and watching the new one even knowing that the old one was not an 80 minute noir 
I was like, yeah, you can see that 80 minute noir that's inside this movie, especially when you get past the carnival stuff and into this kind of, you know, the city stuff, I would call it. And I actually, but I did also really enjoy the carnival section, which is the kind of, I would say, most expanded uh, section of the movie. Um, like first like an hour? Yeah, it's probably less than that, but it, it is it just, feel, it's pretty like immersive. Like you're, you're getting a lot of, yeah. Yeah. What, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I love that stuff. Now we're kind of snarkily, but I did enjoy that section. Yeah, it, it's it. That's kind of also. It's like the most kind of Tim Burton y too. It was like, oh, this is like I'm watching Dumbo. Hey, my Dumbo. Dumbo. Yeah, it's yeah. not like Dumbo. And you I know love, what? I, I like the Dumbo movie. Twitter clocked that the movie has like this digital, like Netflix series look, and I have to agree. I I thought like, first of all, Guillermo shot this uh, 185 to one. He didn't shoot it wide. I don't think he shoots stuff wide. I think. Was was Shape of Water scope? I don't. Think I have no at. recollection whatsoever. Despite um, twice. these are the, these are the things I remember. Um, <laughs> I I I just not that one eight. No, what it's one. He always shoots one eighty five to one. I just not that like that's. I think that's less artful. Um, but there's something to be said about like a fucking use it use a wide. I don't know. I want people to use a wide. <laughs> this is like I, a Lex G thing where he's like, it doesn't count. <laughs> It, does it feels it feels like I'm watching TV. Um yeah. and like um I do I do think this movie has a weird digital look to it that does I understand thinking on paper that Guillermo del Toro fits weirdo carny material, but like in practice, I thought it was just weirdly sanitized and did like so it wasn't it didn't have like rough edges or anything. You know I know what, I mean? what you mean. I don't think it's sanitized because it's pretty fucking gruesome and, and grimy. I guess, at okay, times. yes. It does get quite it has like, you know, classic Yermo where just yeah. like doesn't Shape of Water also have just random bursts of shocking violence in it? Yes. And, yeah. and then that's I would say even why because this isn't really a horror movie, but it has horror, horror overtones more so than than the 47. And but there's also I think what you're responding to, besides probably that it was shot digitally, although I haven't checked. Um, is that it does feel a little more fantastical. There's something a little more sort of that feels makes it feel a little more like a painting or sort of like a slightly comic booky kind of feel to it versus the 47, which is very, I mean, beautiful and lush and like the camera movements are great and it's a really good looking movie. And I was reading that, I guess it was supposedly stands out among a lot of noirs of that period because it wasn't a low budget and it's probably why it's not a 75 minute uh you know hard-hitting little like nasty movie it's like a it's longer because it's like a little more of a big budget production that i guess tyrone power was seeking out to try to like toy with his image a little bit and that but but guillermo's version is a little more lush like even in the griminess or the violence it just is a little more of like it just feels a little fancier um and i did i enjoyed that i didn't think i didn't think that's a real problem for the movie but i know what you mean in saying that it, it's not you know it doesn't yeah, feel like, gritty i know people love to like praise the visual genius of guillermo del toro and i was like i just i keep wanting to get it and i keep finding myself not like i, I wouldn't say i was disappointed by this movie because like I'm going to end up like I enjoy, as I said, king of the overheralded three out of five movie. Like, I think it's pretty good. I'm going to tell people who ask me, hey, should I go see Nightmare Alley? I'm going to tell them, yes, I'm going to I'm going to full throatedly recommend it. Like, I don't think it sucks. I don't think it's a bad movie. I just I'm watching it as a remake. And it's interesting. We're about to talk about West Side Story after this, um, where I actually feel almost identical the same way as I do about this one, where it's just like. uh 
none of the things that they changed worked for me. Like I was just like, oh, they were like, for example, in this movie, there are flashbacks added for Stan and you like and his father that to me completely fly in the face of the character arc that is building through the movie of like this guy being corrupted or whatever, or like, is it inherent in him or whatever? This movie like just explicitly is like, yeah, he did this stuff to his dad too. Huh? And like, it just kind of wallows in it. And I just thought it's all, it's, it's something like, maybe it's just like a show don't tell thing. Well, it's, I think it, it, it takes away some of the opacity of the character who's there. That's there in the, in the 47 where, because you don't see his background, you are wondering about him. You're sort of like, is he just trying to get ahead or is this guy like seriously fucked up? Um, and this movie kind of makes it more explicit. Um, and it's maybe not as effective it's, to see yeah, that stuff. Yeah, it just feels like, you know, uh, Nightmare Alley for dummies or something. <laughs> well, I, I think there is stuff in the in that early section that is added that does kind of make it feel a little richer or feel a little more, I don't know, a little more in, I wouldn't say emotionally involved because I don't usually find his movies very emotional and this is no exception. But... It just, I kind of like the kind of sinking into the the atmosphere in terms of what he's, what it, what carnival work really means <laughs> for these people. And it's a little cute in like the kind of, oh, this is this little family of carnies kind of way, but it kind of, that, that stuff did work. That kind of expansion of it worked for me, though it, I feel like the, the weird effect of watching the, the older one second is that and I think you're actually kind of lucky to have watched the older one first, even though it probably didn't help huh. your enjoyment of the new one, is that I didn't love the older one as much as I wanted to, even though it's very good. And I think, it, you know, it's it's better. It's more concise and it sort of yeah. gets there first. It does a lot of the same stuff, but, you know, more concisely. Um, and minus the kind of, uh, kind of an ending that feels like a little bit of a cop-out or a little wishy-washy compared to how good the ending of this movie is. Um it's mostly better, but I didn't find myself really liking it more just because so much of it was like, oh yeah, I know. Like I felt like I, I kind of understood. Yeah. yeah. I understood it better almost having seen the new one, which explains some stuff a little more explicitly or like a little more luxuriously. So I kind of maybe anticipate stuff in the new one, in the old one rather. I mean, obviously the old one's not going to spring any crazy surprises. They're based on the exact same book, but I didn't. I don't. I didn't dislike it at all. I thought it was really cool. But having seen the new one first, I was like, oh, okay. I've seen. It's like. I mean, I think it's like watching the. If you watch the old King Kong after the Peter Jackson King Kong, never having seen the thirty-three King Kong, you'd go, oh, okay. This is like this, but shorter, and maybe you know they they did it. They did it first, and sort of, and were able to say things. Ah, the, bo than... the boat just gets there. Yeah, the boat just gets there. And there was some of that in here. I mean, there's also like the Tyrone Power performance is very good. And I thought, again, great looking movie, really cool. But I do think I maybe like not sour, but sort of softened my enjoyment of the old one by watching the new one first. But I think that would have happened whatever one I want. They're similar enough that whatever one you watch and, and also not distinct enough, uh, which we'll get into about West Side Story, but I feel like that's a difference there is that the Nightmare Alley movies feel so similar that whatever one you watch first might be the one you end up enjoying more because yeah. like that's, yeah. you know, because you, exactly. you might have a limited capacity for watching the exact same story twice. And that's it's not like to say that it, you 12 hours span because I'm a... Yeah, <laughs> yeah if you, I wouldn't watch them as close together as... Uh, really, the idea would be for someone to have seen the old one several years ago. Um, yeah, so I, that might be too late for... <laughs> really blew it. Yeah, <laughs> flew it spectacularly. Yeah. <laughs> One thing they didn't remake the my favorite moment, 
like the moment's still there but the line reading isn't there's the moment where like they flip the card over and it reveals the a tarot card and it reveals the hanged man uh-huh. in the old version molly literally says oh is that bad <laughs> it's just like no the hangman actually means good fortune like of course it's bad. um but i don't know i think you're right in that whatever one you watch first is the one you're going to cling to because I, th- I watched the first one thinking it was fantastic and not once for a second did i go you know what this should be 30 minutes longer and directed by Guillermo del toro yeah. um, i just i've yet to like i don't know i want to feel the way that the people who rate this like four and a half out of five feel and think it's like this like sumptuous amazing experience but i, I just think there's yeah there's something that tends to be i don't think his movies are at a remove but i think you can see the craft sometimes a lot more than the kind of visceral stuff of it kind of reminds me a little bit of this is a weird comparison um and just makes me sound like a philistine but it kind of reminds me of todd haynes a little bit in that I love. I've really liked some of his movies, and and I've you know, at least mostly liked almost all of the ones that I've seen, and I've seen most of them. Um, but I do sometimes feel like, oh, I see what you're doing, and I like what your influences are, and I like the the comment, the sort of meta comment you're making about this type of movie that you're also influenced by, and also paying tribute to, and also updating all at the same time. Like that's how I felt about Far From Heaven. I was like, oh, this is really neat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've seen Imitation of Life, and like, I this is this is cool. Like you're doing that, but but stuff you're able to do because it's 2002, not 1952. Yeah, no, I, did you not like Far From Heaven? No, I did, but like, yeah, as emotionally, I was sort of like, yeah, okay, this is, seems like an exercise to me. Like, and I often oh, yeah. feel like that about his yeah. movies. Todd Haynes as uh, Douglas Sirk. Yeah, yeah, and like, and and I, I, you know, there are a few, like, I really love I'm Not There, and it's, because I think part of that's just like the Dylan aspect of it. And I like his movies, I always think they're interesting, but I they always kind of feel a little like, like an exercise in some level, like an academic exercise. And uh, I feel similar about, they're not academic and the the Gamblos movies are trying to be a little more visceral and immediate. Like, I don't think he's making movies to comment upon the creature from the Black Lagoon. I think he's using some of that imagery in like in interesting ways, but it has a similar effect for me where I'm like, yeah, I get why, what this is supposed to be doing or I I admire what this is doing, but the kind of, immediate effect is just not that strong i'm not like thrilled by what's going on i don't find it unpredictable or sort of emotionally unusual or anything like that and i think because there's not that much of there's not even that much opportunity for that in nightmare alley you're just kind of like watching a horrible guy do some horrible stuff uh that should be like really boring but i was sort of like okay i'm into it's it's like the dude version of uh house of gucci where i was just like okay i'm like uh I'm interested in in in, uh, in what you're trying to do here, uh, horrible anti-hero of the movie. Um, but there is like it it doesn't like lift in any kind of real way. I didn't feel like the kind of I don't know whatever extra bump you get, like, even yeah. you know from even from Tim Burton, who I know is kind of considered a kitty director or a hack director or whatever. Uh, he's had many movies where I feel like a real like visceral like yes about them, you know. And I and and Del Toro's stuff just doesn't usually get there for me. Yeah, and you know what? It's so hard feeling that way about him because he's so nice. He's such a—he seems like an amazing dude. He's <laughs> yeah. such a lovable figure that I know several people who've worked with him or met him, and like they all have like only amazing things to say. Larry Fessenden had that did our show years and years ago and talked about he was like this close to directing that the orphanage remake uh-huh. way back when the orphanage came out in two thousand eight, I think it was. Um, and he like went to Guillermo's house and had this amazing story about working with him. 
but like um he just seems like a cool guy <laughs> um i'm sure he was great on the king cast but <laughs> i just I, I i desperately want to understand and but not enough to watch this movie again. <laughs> like, I'm, well, I watched Shape of Water a second time, and it still did not. I, like the parts yeah. that I found boring, I still found boring. I, I will say another, like another, just the random like Guillermo del Toro seems like an awesome dude anecdote. I reviewed million years a million years ago the Blu-ray from Mimic, which a move, which is a movie that was like taken away from him or like not. It wasn't really to his, you know, it, was, it got Weinsteined. Uh, it's kind of a fun movie though, and he did a commentary for the the Blu-ray, and he's so like generous of spirit. He talks about watching the direct dvd mimic sequels that were made without his involvement and it's like enthusiastically recommending them and not in a kind of glad handy like you know trying to be nice sort of way like you can tell he was into them he's like yeah i, I feel like he you know he like especially like the third one or something but he was saying that they're both like really cool and interesting like he's a definite like fan of this stuff he like didn't he was not obligated to watch those mimic sequels and in fact was probably the opposite like most people would be like no i'm not gonna watch some Miramax direct-to-video sequels to a movie that they fucked with that I wasn't happy with, but he was like delighted by them and like just watched them for fun and thought they were good. And I just found that so endearing and one he just seems like a genuine guy who like really like you know I really <laughs> it's one of those things he likes where he, movies yeah he yeah, he just loves movies yeah. in a way and not all filmmakers do I feel like uh, or don't have don't at least not well, they don't project it so so merrily. <laughs> did you watch that listening to Kenny G documentary on HBO? I did not. You absolutely have to. Everyone okay. who's listening has to. It's great. It's called Listen to Kenny G. Uh, it's Don't worry. If you hate Kenny G, it's for you. And if you <laughs> love Kenny G, it's also for you. Because it's about how polarizing this man is, why musicians hate him, why audiences love him, and what he feels about everything. It's so interesting. Um, but what you just said reminded me um, of the same dynamic from that documentary and i already forgot what you said because <laughs> they, they, Guillermo seems to love he just seems to love movies more like, oh yeah well movies. you said some people don't and yeah, uh, yeah. like yanni they're they're yanni jesus kenny g they asked kenny g like what do you love about music and he goes mm, i don't think i do love music and it's like <laughs> what <laughs> it was like the the, his, the accolade you'll keep hearing in that movie is like the world's number one in selling instrumentalist uh -huh. the world's number one selling instrumentalist doesn't even like music but it also <laughs> like explains everything um yeah i i think it's endearing as hell i think he's endearing as hell i want nothing more than for him to get his hellboy 3 that he never got to make that he's yeah. very vocal about wanting to do it and to kill Hellboy in it. And like, I'm oh, no. all, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's yeah. already, it's already dead as far as yeah. cinema's concerned. <laughs> May as well kill him off in yeah. style uh, and not with the fucking really, was it Neil Marshall who directed Yeah, yeah, that was the Neil Marshall Hellboy. I, I dutifully went to go see that on like Easter by myself. I, I, yeah, I saw it by myself too. Uh, I know a buddy who, I only know that he, did a punch up on the script because he had to cancel the comedy show that I booked him on uh, to go to the premiere of it. But I, I know a comedian who did punch up on that script, which basically, if you don't know what that means, it's like when they hire a comedian to make a script funnier, but you know, he's limited because he's just, it's late in the game. So yeah. he just has to basically write jokes that can be inserted via ADR, which means like just someone recording it in a room later. So like they just add jokes, like, I don't know, someone, Ow, my tail! Like yeah. he'll be doing that in the background. So, uh, no slight to anyone doing punch-up work. It's incredible work if you can get it. Um, 
and I, I talked to him and he doesn't like the movie either. So <laughs> don't worry. Um, Nightmare Alley, two and a half hours, man. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a, it's a, it's lot. a long... it's unwieldy. It starts it and like it just starts to wane. And like, even though it ends in a place that I enjoy, like the elongated way it ends, too. I'm just like, yeah. I want I was like putting my coat on during the like final <laughs> shot. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. I got it. I know yeah. it just I don't know. It's definitely a remake problem for me, like uh, watching the original too close to it. Um, but again, I still think it's worth seeing. If you're a fan of Guillermo, you'll definitely like it. If you're not a fan of Guillermo, you'll probably think it's semi-interesting. Um, I don't think it looks that good, despite what many people will probably say about it. I think it's a weird, it has a weird look to it. And I'm just, you know, I think scope photography, 235 to 1, if you know. If, if you know, you know, projectionist. But I just, I don't know. For something to... I don't want to criticize anyone for shooting flat. It seems it just seems stupid, but it added to the factor of me thinking this movie looked like a Netflix show, and it was just somebody put it in my head with the tweet. And now I can't unsee it. But uh, I don't know. There's definitely a world where I didn't watch the remake and enjoyed this more. Oh, we haven't talked about how Richard Jenkins looks just like Steven Spielberg in this movie. <laughs> he does. That's true. But so then that's... he starts talking, and it's just Richard Jenkins. Yeah. <laughs> He starts talking about being wishing he was a tyrannosaur or a dinosaur. No, he's like, uh, what is the line he has about hard bodies in uh, in Burning After Reading? Oh, God, <laughs> I don't... fucking funny. Uh, it was just on the. It was just lying there. Uh, Burn After Reading, best movie ever. That's what you should take away from this episode. I'm rambling because I don't know what else there is to say about Nightmare Alley. A movie that's in theaters and surely bombing very badly right now. Predicting <laughs> another adult, excuse me, another adult drama, R-rated, very long. I don't think this movie's going to do better than West Side Story. I don't. I think it's going to do about ten. What do you? No, think? I think it'll, yeah. I, I don't. I think it'll probably not do great. I think. I, I don't know if the word of mouth on it is going to be so rosy. <laughs> I mean, more because I more, which is partially what I like about it. It, end, it ends in a way that's sort of like, well, that's, you know, it's got sort of the, the uh, that's, that's how it should end. But I don't know if it's going to leave the general audiences who just want to see a holiday movie with all these stars. Uh, yeah. Like, let's really talk cool. about the red rocket comparison for a second. Cause like, what are these two movies about to you? Like, do you, what do you see that comparison? Like I, I do like I, red rocket, which I really loved. Um, we'll talk it, about red rocket on a bonus episode. We're going to yeah, do a best yeah. non horror episode at some point. Um, soon. It is about this guy who's, you know, who, like a, you know, ex porn star sort of washed up porn star coming to his hometown and trying to find a new angle basically so he can survive long enough to like claw his way back on top and that is kind of what the guy's deal is in Nightmare Alley where he's sort of like he's kind of blows into town I mean in in Red Rocket it's a guy coming back to his hometown in, in Nightmare Alley it's sort of a guy a drifter essentially uh turning up at a carnival and looking for work, but it is kind of a similar deal. And it's, it's more overt than the guy. Sides, in Red totally different sides of the same coin is what I would yeah, say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love Red Rock and I didn't really care for Nightmare Alley so much, but keep going. Yeah, but, but they do kind of feel like, yeah, I, I like that comparison a lot. It's props to whoever, whoever pulled that off. Cause it, it does kind of feel like 
I mean, that's the thing is Red Rocket, as much as it might feel ham handed that it's very clearly tied to 2016 and to Donald Trump, like that the kind of convention, the uh, conventions in the summer are being blared on every TV uh, to the point of feeling not that realistic that people in, you know, Texas City are all like glued to their TVs watching uh, speeches at the convention instead of like, you know, I don't know, like something that would be more entertaining. Um, but like it's and it's not subtle, but it's there and it's kind of like, OK, yeah, this is clear. This is the kind of america that this movie is depicting with some affection towards a lot of its other characters uh, I, but with some Nightmare affection Alley, the trump thing too according to sean baker's twitter <laughs> yikes <laughs> we'll talk about that another time <laughs> but like and nightmare alley i think i mean i'm sure del toro has these thought i'm sure you can draw some like political or current you know current points or sort of relevance from his movies but like Shape of Water, I know people were doing that too. And sort of like, it sort of makes its points about, you know, paranoia about the other or, or whatever. But I just don't think he's the that skilled. No, at I never. Those things out. Yeah. I don't think I, it, I don't think that there's a productive line of analysis for Shape of Water, honestly. And in this one, it's so tied to the period and it's so lushly, you know, evocative of sort of movies about that period more so than, than like, stuff that feels like oh this is kind of a real life thing that sure you could probably make some ties to this character and trump very easily the way you could with the red rocket character um and it's fine that he doesn't choose to do that but it just it, it doesn't really feel that you know like it's really saying much of about, about i mean uh, whatever I, I not like i'm dying for more movies to try to assert themselves as being of the moment but it is that is if you're looking at those two movies side by side, Red Rocket to move does feel like even though it's set in a also set in a specific period, does feel like oh this is really informed by the last twenty years of American culture. Like to me, this the Red Rocket is like a movie about the end of the century, just like not ending, like the the twentieth century, like limping along and beginning and becoming like deformed and horrible as the you know twenty years into the or sixteen years I guess into the twenty first. And Nightmare Alley doesn't feel as rooted in what's going on in the time period. Maybe I just don't know enough, like historically speaking, about what we, I'm supposed to take away from that. Um, but it feels a little more abstract and a little more like it's about the old movie or about the about old movies in general than it is than it feels like really vital to anything now. I don't know. That's what yeah. Seems like I think I mean, Red Rocket is clearly a movie about a type of person and saying things and like an artful movie and like Nightmare Alley. Yes, it's all there too, but I feel like it's because the author of the book put it there and not because Guillermo decided to put it there. Like yeah, it just yeah. Guillermo made his movie that he wanted to make. And I do think he's more interested in like, yeah, the way the carnival accoutrement looked than like the story or something. But uh, I found the person, it was Jacob Knight who wrote in his Red Rocket blurb Between this and Nightmare Alley, we've now reached a point where some of our most talented working filmmakers are beginning to metabolize the Trump era not to mention its fallout and collateral damage and translated into art that analyzes just why the hell anyone would fall in love with such an obvious megalomaniac snake oil salesman. Uh, Red Rocket feels more in line with the new Hollywood character studies that we're reckoning with Richard Nixon in the era of working class distrust he imbued in the culture at large than it does the Italian exploitation and sex comedies that Baker is so clearly stylistically inspired by. It's also, it's all about a small time sociopath's 
schemer weaving his way into the hearts of those who clearly know up to no good, yet can't help but be completely charmed by an absolute maniac due to his seemingly endless reservoir of big dick energy. Um, it's a great review um, of Red Rocket, which we'll talk about in another episode. But, uh, you know, you can read that and say, yeah, Nightmare, uh, yeah, Nightmare Alley is about that, too. Sure. <laughs> um, interesting movie, Nightmare Alley. I wish I liked it more, but I liked it just fine, which is where I end up on Lot of Guillermo del Toro. Not going to rank in my best of the year list, but I'm glad I saw it in a theater, I guess. But it would look fine on your TV. No letterboxing. It would be totally fine. Um, any last words on uh, on that on that movie? Yeah, I mean, I, I I agree with you that it's worth seeing. It's not a great movie, but I think if you like any of the stuff that that you see in the trailers, I I do think a friend of mine was like, "So is he like a werewolf in it? What's the deal?" Uh, and oh, people are going to be disappointed. Yeah, that. yeah, exactly. That's it's like it, it, the trailer does give off sort of monstery vibes or night. You know, even the title too kind of feels like something's going to happen. So we and, can a really bad cinema score then possibly yeah um because it really is more of a noir drama with some kind of you know fantastical overlay but there's nothing actually and that's not a spoiler it's because it's really not that at all that's just not the movie it is um oh also the i just love willem dafoe in it he's great <laughs> i mean he's always yeah. great but he's just he's I, always great and he's my delightful. favorite part of it, probably yeah. um all right well Go subscribe to our Patreon if you want to hear the way I was going to open this episode, but chose <laughs> the last second to bail out and sing a different song. So uh, I'll start. I'll sing the other song to start the bonus episode. So uh, patreon.com slash new flesh podcast for that. Uh, please, please, please rate us, review us on iTunes. We're at, we got seven since I asked, which is amazing. Thank you. Seven people. You're incredible. We need about 53 more. So let's keep going until and once you reach to once we reach 200, the new flash is a legitimate review source at Rotten Tomatoes, or at least I hope it is. So uh, keep reviewing and rating, and uh, we'll find you on the Patreon feed, or we'll be back next week talking about <gasps> the Matrix Resurrections. <laughs> I cannot believe it here. Holy shit! That'll be a fun episode. Hopefully, we'll do some bonuses on the Matrix sequels because I have so much to say about all of them. Um, all right, bye bye. Death is not the end of the new flesh. Oh, the new flesh. I was hoping you'd be back. <laughs>